morning. Welcome to the Old School uh, podcast about the American education system, its various quirks, traits, problems, as we endeavor to offer solutions. And so far as we know the solutions, good morning, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. Hi, Mr. Miller. How are you doing, sir? Hi. <laughs> I thought I'd keep it casual and, and, and <laughs> refrain from the Herr Miller and call you Mr. Miller. And just hi. Hi. Yeah. Hi, Ross. That's how I talk. <laughs> I keep it casual around here, you know. <laughs> there's a there's another podcast uh, called Nate Land with Nate Bargatze, a comedian, and they had a kind of longstanding joke about whether he should begin the podcast with "Hello" or "Hello, folks" or something along those lines. And and now I'm thinking about that as you sit there and you start the podcast with a rather chipper, almost whimsical. <laughs> Hi. Well, I'm I'm not in a terrible mood today, um, and that's saying something, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I'm, well, I'm glad you're in a good mood. I, I never wish you to be in a bad mood, unlike uh, what you have done over the years. You've often wished that I was in a bad mood because you think I'm funnier Absolutely. that way. Absolutely. You're downright dull when you're happy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I can't say that I'm happy. I'm fine. I'm I'm comfortable. Yeah, it's a nice <laughs> Jewish expression. I'm comfortable. So. <laughs> wow. so, but currently, I am not in my typical uh, sanctum sanctorum. Uh, I'm actually out in the commons area uh, <laughs> of the household. Now, the the frau and the kid is not here, or not here, but. Um, so, yes. So, apparently, <laughs> did you know? What are you laughing at? Well, referring to your wife as the frawl. Um, I don't know if you've yes. done that yet on the show. <laughs> <laughs> das Kind und die Frau. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes. I don't know if you know this or not, but fence fence people, people who make fences. Fences? Yeah. Okay. A fencer, a fencier. <laughs> I don't know what the I don't know what the verb I don't know what the noun is to describe someone who makes fences. Apparently, they don't they they're not old school. They don't like dig holes. Well, they have those uh, they have those machines with kind of the rotating looks like an Archimedes screw that kind of just digs down into the soil. That it, it's a called a hole digger. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll go with that. <laughs> There used to be a thing where it was like a it was like a gigantic salad spoon. You just ram it into the ground open and then you close it and dig dirt out and bring it up. And but apparently they don't do that anymore. So I thought initially when they said that they're going to start building this fence today, I was like, well, I got the podcast. I said, well, I mean, it's like, what are they going to hear? Like the occasional thump of a of a salad spoon going into the ground to dig out soil. And I thought, okay. And then they came in and they have, they have equipment and it's very loud. And I thought, okay, well, this isn't going to work. And I'm not begrudging them because certainly that's got to be an easier way to make a fence than and a quicker way, by the way, than digging a hole, which I've done. I've done post hole digging. Sure, and so, sure. so, but uh, so I'm not, I'm not besmirching or otherwise disparaging how technology and mechanization has entered into the mix, but I just wasn't expecting it. Is this a fence that borders uh, on your backyard? Is that technically your fence? Uh, Well, it's actually the fence between myself and my neighbors. So the two of us, we are going in on 
uh, we're going halvesies, as they used to say, <laughs> on paying for this fence. So okay, well, so so this is not like unexpected. This noise pollution that you're suffering from right now. It, is it not expected? Well, I mean, you were ready for it, but then you, so now you you had to retreat essentially. I did have to retreat, and so now I'm in the nurturing environs of my dining room, which I hope I don't know what the acoustics sound like. Uh, Does that sound good? It's great. You, you dulcet tones here, man. All right, very good. Nice. All right. Okay. So anyway, so that's uh, that's what's going on here, and of course uh, we have football later today. God, you got to help me. What <laughs> tonight? So here's here's the thing. So my wife is younger than I am, and that's not a problem. I don't think anyone would see it as a problem necessarily, but my wife is younger than I am, and my friends are, on the whole, younger than I am. So we have we have these. Well, you're an exception, but um, the so we have a group of friends who I love to death. They're fantastic people. They are just top notch people, but they are around Jen's age. My wife's age are a little bit younger. And so therefore their cultural high highlights as they grew up are considerably different than mine. And one of those highlights as we come upon, as we come upon Halloween is the movie Hocus Pocus. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so there was at some point it was determined that I had never seen it. Not only had I not seen it, I really was not interested in seeing it, but the three of them, our friends and my wife and the kids, by the way, because it's like a kid's favorite at Halloween. I'd never heard of this movie before my friends brought it up. And they're saying, well, you got to see it. And I and I was like, oh, OK, fine. So I thought, OK, I'll take one for the team. We'll have a gathering. We'll watch Hocus, Hocus Pocus. The kids will love it. The three other adults will get to relive their childhood and we'll end the evening and all is well. Perfect. Except. Ah, those folks who made Hocus Pocus decided 30 years after the fact that what we really needed was Hocus Pocus 2. And so now we've got a, we've got the same group of friends coming over because they insist that we all have to see it. And here's something else. I never insist that people have to see the movies that I like. I don't sit there and make grand demands upon my friends and upon my wife. Hey, you must watch John Wayne. Sure, she would be a better person for having done so, but I don't make those kind of demands on her. And that, but here I go. I got a couple of friends coming over tonight. These lovely, dear, wonderful people, and their kids, and we're coming over, and they're coming over, and we're going to watch Hocus Pocus too. And you just die a thousand deaths. I mean, I just, I'm just dreading it. I'm certainly hanging out with people is fine, but. God bless it. Hocus Pocus 2. So so you're missing a football game. Is that really what you're getting at here? I'm sure I'm missing something. Something of greater import than Hocus Pocus 2. Three. Okay. I don't know all the actresses that are the three witches. But I bet you they haven't done much in the last 30 years. And now all of a sudden they've come together again for Hocus Pocus 2. <laughs> and so it's like Bette Midler and it's two other people. I don't know the other two. I don't, I don't know who the other two people are. And it's just, I don't know. It's not good. Sorry this about is what that. It, 
So when my friends ask me, hey, you think I should get married? <laughs> you know, this is this is what it's like sometimes. This is what you have to do. You know, everyone pays in the end. And here, here, here I am paying from Hocus Pocus 2. And let, let there be no mistake to our listening audience who feels that I am some sort of completed, wonderful work of art <laughs> who is just wonderful all around. And it's only my <laughs> wife who brings tension to the relationship. I'm a jerk. Yeah, I get yeah. that. I, <laughs> I've, I've known that from the start. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, marrying to me is no picnic. No. And sometimes no. if Hocus Pocus 2 is what helps you get through it, then okay. But Hocus Pocus 2, ah, oh, Jesus. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna watch it, you know, and I'm gonna do my best to not be too terribly snarky or curmudgeon. But yeah, just keep your thoughts to yourself. Um, I think that would be the best approach. I wonder, because I hear that there are people that know how to sleep with their eyes open. <laughs> Do you know about that? Is that true? Well, no, but a lot of people, no one will notice if you're texting because that's nobody actually watches something anymore. They're looking <laughs> at their phone. So just watch the game on your phone. I think that, that's the best way. <laughs> yeah, man, it's not a bad idea. So That's what I right. do here. I solve problems. <laughs> <laughs> You know, education solves problems, and sometimes the solution to their problems is that they fire people. I don't that was, know a, if that you... was an abrupt transition here, Mark. <laughs> yeah. getting mentioned... fired. Are you saying that you've been fired finally? No. Oh, well. It's only a matter of time, perhaps, it is. if I sit around too much longer. So. <laughs> I think you should go out in a blaze of glory. You know, that, that that's the romantic in me. <laughs> they say, get the hell out of here, Miller, and you take your box and leave. <laughs> my potted plant <laughs> sticking, sticking out. <laughs> oh boy, that would be a what a day, you know. I've always wanted people to spread rumors like after I leave. Yeah, <laughs> the, the cops let him out of his house. He was in a wife beater, and you know, he just he was screaming at the officers. Do you know who I am? You know, just <laughs> I just I just want the rumors to spread about this kind of fall from grace of this highly respected. Well, probably not highly respected, but certainly respected teacher of some 20 some odd years upon his retirement. <laughs> well, you, you, you've, man, you've managed to keep your prehistory before teaching uh, under wraps, really. And and so any. Well, you know why? Because that's before social media. So yeah, it's a lot yeah, easier yeah. to keep that under wraps. But yeah, well, here, here's hoping that there's not some video footage from 12 <laughs> millimeter or whatever the hell they had back then. <laughs> I was in the military. I was serving our country, schmuck. So it's, 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 schmuck it's, it's not it's not that I was doing something nefarious. It's not like I was up to no good. Well, that, that's not what I heard. <laughs> people are saying that they're, they're people are saying <laughs> what, what people what people would that be exactly? Well, so, so anyway. what about the firing? Go back to the firing. You really piqued my interest. So, um, so there's an organic chemistry professor. We're starting to leave the uh, the lofty realms of public education for just a bit. Um, but there's this there's this organic chemistry professor at NYU, and apparently a group of his students uh, pro petitioned the the uh, the uh, Board of Trustees at NYU regarding the low grades, the fact that he was uncommunicative, the fact that he was not very helpful, that he didn't do much to try to help them out of their various 
the various difficulties with the course. <clears throat> Apparently the kids are making like thirties or twenties. And there is a, there's a great uh, uh, disturbance in the force, if you will, among some of these kids. So about 80 of them out of a total number of about 350, 360 or something like that, uh, about 80 of them uh, signed a petition that basically suggested that somehow their grades should be changed or their grades should be altered or the situation needs to be changed because this guy's not helping us. Uh, when he speaks to us, it's uh, with kind of a demanding tone and, and a lot of this language that we have come to associate with a certain group of folks in the university level uh, that are perhaps better known for, um, you know, the, 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 the juxtaposition of them with the idea that they're being persecuted or whatever the case may be, just because they don't meet the standards. And they're calling into question the standards, they're calling into question the class, they're calling into question the, the teacher's entire ability uh, as a professor. Now, this is a professor who is credited with kind of changing how organic chemistry is taught. Apparently, he's a bit of a rock star in the field. So this is not some assistant professor right right out of with a newly minted uh, doctorate. This is a, an experienced, you know, a, a dinosaur of sorts, um, you know, somebody who's prominent and, and I'm looking at the story now, 84 years old. 84 years. Yeah. 84 years old. The guy's name is um, Dr. Uh, Matlin Jones Jr. And now the catch here is, is that what he was doing for NYU was like a yearly contract sort of thing. So it's kind of a gun for hire. And um, so he changed, he's, he's, credited with changing the notion and the nature of organic chemistry, particularly for aspiring physicians, uh, moving away from rote memorization to more of a problem-solving type of uh, approach to the course. And uh, this is the guy who just got fired. Now, he could be fired because he was only these he, he, his uh, tenure with uh, NYU was only a year yearly basis. So it was probably at will and they could um, not renew for all kinds of reasons. There's not a bad reason. And so is there a legal question to this? Um, I mean, is this going to court or what, what, what's the next step? I don't think it's going to court because Dr. Jones says that he does not want the job back. He, he had planned on retiring soon anyway. And so he figured, well, let's go ahead and call it a day. This is a guy who's had a very long career, primarily at Princeton, but um, but there's no legal action. Now, the students who signed the petition said that they were surprised that the professor was fired because they didn't ask for that. So they, they, did they now create another petition to bring him back? <laughs> I don't think the uh, students care enough about it, but well, talk, and I guess it, talk about the, the students because this is a a course that's really a gateway to to med school and if you don't pass it um you're out and it, i mean it does have some implications it has huge implications uh there were several students who were quoted in the new york times article that i read uh former students of his that talked about the fact that this class was kind of a weeding out class a a, a class where um you know people are you know they either make it through or they don't and their no, their dreams and aspirations of being a physician are over. And so apparently these 82 kiddos are folks who feel that 
potentially because of this course, their dreams of being a doctor are no longer viable. Now, you could say anyone making a 30 in organic chemistry, maybe you don't want them as a doctor. And actually, that's what one of the chemistry professors within the department said. Is there has to be a certain level of standards that are maintained uh, because what we're sending these kids off to is to training that to serve a very high purpose, that of a physician. And, you know, you don't want you don't want a D student doing your surgery for you, you know, and so. Um, there's there's a great sense of responsibility, I would imagine, on the part of the teachers that who they pass on are people who are worthy, or at least at that stage, are worthy of being and pursuing the field of medicine. So from the kids' point of view, they feel that the course is unnecessarily hard, that there's no unnecessary, there's no particular reason why organic chemistry should be the course that should be the deal breaker. Um, and it seems like as part of their petition, they feel that there is something kind of ethically wrong with this um, this gauntlet that they have to run, and in particular with regards to uh, this particular course, that it should be such a make or break type of thing. Well, it's um, I, you know, looking at the context, you know, a little bit, um, the technology today, you know, coming out of COVID, that a lot of professors have gone to making online resources common. I, I'm reading that the the professor was a little bit backwards as far as getting videos of, of coursework and, and so forth. Um, I'm just trying to, you know, you know, paint the whole picture, you know, picturing parents, typically parents are, are paying $70,000 or more for that type of a, uh, an education. Um, I, I can imagine parents uh, having their child fail a course and, and suddenly they're off track for the future and they're putting up all this money. Um, they would be upset. You know, I'm right now I'm, I'm not taking any side on this, but that's, that kind of plays into it also. It does, but that would also assume that nothing else was available to assist these kiddos outside of the actual physical classroom. One like, of the like, things like their textbook. For example, um, yeah. Okay, so let's just take the gloves off. We 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 think this is stupid. Is that what you're where you're getting at? Well, I think if you know, and it's hard to it's hard to know because you don't necessarily have the complete story. Right. You know, one of the one of the things that one of the people that was quoted in the article was an assistant to Dr. Jones mm -hmm. who said that that the kids who are failing almost universally have not accessed any of the additional resources that are available online for them to be able to use in order to prepare themselves and to do well in the tests. And the question is, is that at what point uh, do the students have to pay for the consequences of either not being able to pass a class or not being willing to do the work necessary to pass the class? Well, the, the doctor, Dr. Jones, w was saying some terrible things about troubling things about the the students and their and their drop in test scores yes um he said something about them just simply misreading questions you know on exams um not not preparing uh, so there's definitely a an argument on on his side that he's been consistent i mean you would imagine a professor of that stature is not inventing new curriculum every year so, so right. maybe the standards 
are the same today or would have been if we'd been teaching right now as they were, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Is, is that, do you think that's the case? I, I, yeah, I think he, while he is credited with doing a massive rethink on the curriculum and how it is to be presented, I doubt he has changed very much outside of the particular special demands that COVID kind of made on teachers. I doubt he has changed very much since that kind of breakthrough idea and the idea that kind of established his reputation. No, I don't, I don't imagine he has changed. Now the question is, is that necessary for the kid to get a good education out of it? You know, the, it is difficult sometimes to try to hold the line and while I don't know this particular professor's story, I don't, I don't know the complete picture. I don't know that anybody does really. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, under, I can feel what he's going through because I think a lot of teachers, particularly in the high school where parents are more present, of course, you're going to, you, you confront these type of situations all the time. Oh my goodness. You think back, to the, I mean, in my case, even teaching um, an elective or you know, something that's not a core subject, um, the pressure was was not parents, you know, for me. But but we definitely would get a a coach walking into the room, noticing that um, some of their players are struggling. But but they always did it very respectfully, and they didn't ask to change a grade. Uh, but they just wanted a little bit more support, or they wanted to be informed. That that was the the, the main thing, but I, I bet that in, in your case, there were parents and, and maybe even administrators because you have a, a core class. I have a core class. It feeds into not only the AP exam for U.S. history, it all, also feeds into an end of course test for U.S. history in general for the state of Texas to be able to, you know, for a student to be able to get a graduation, get a diploma. They have to be able to complete these EOC end of course exams. So yes, I mean, now of course, for, from my point of view, the issue has never been about a kid being able to pass the EOC, the end of course. It's too easy. Everybody can pass that. <laughs> they, they, they show a map of Michigan with an arrow. And Where's Michigan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I apologize. That's beneath me. No, actually it's not. So, <laughs> but, uh, Quiet. Quiet. <laughs> but no, I, I think, you know, it is, oh man, it is tough. You know, organic chemistry, I would think that's the kind of course that would prevent a, your average parent from bowling up and say, listen, I know how this thing works. This kid should be making better grades because who in the heck has an understanding of organic chemistry, except for maybe, you know, specialists in the field, you know, history, everyone feels free to comment on history. So I, I get all sorts, you know, people who watch the history channel, you know, people, you know, whatever. They're all experts. They're all experts, you know? So, but it is it has become increasingly difficult now. I don't get coaches. I used to when I was very when I was starting out. I got coaches who could be uh, not quite delicate in trying to find out what's happening with a kid or what's <laughs> happening with me in the course, you know. But uh, I will say, coaches don't do that anymore. At least they don't do it with me. And so, um, but it's kind of, it's kind of a no go. You don't do that anymore, and coaches don't do it. So. But, um, but, you know, you hear it from the kiddos, you hear it from parents um, about this is too hard, you know, uh, 
you know, they freak out about a bad grade here or a bad grade there. And, and I'd certainly believe that a bad grade is something to be concerned about, especially if it is accurately depicting your lack of knowledge. Okay, maybe you want to do something different. But as far as whether that that standard should exist, this is very problematic. And can you imagine any other professor who is on a year-to-year contract? The, the intimation is, yeah. make sure your kids pass or you'll be the next one fired. And then you have to ask the question, what kind of educated individual are you producing as a university? Yeah, that does does get a little bit scary. I mean, you know, in the K-12 world, it's that grade book portal that's live and people can trace grades. So often these become really just misunderstandings because people are trying to interpret a provisional grade. You know, we're, we're you know in the middle of a term when things are coming due and students are absent. It's really not so clear as the end of uh, the grade at the end of a course. Where, mm-hmm. where you can actually do the statistics there, but a university department, I, I would argue that it, they, you know, grades become inflated dramatically um, in master's programs, and particularly in doctoral programs, where it's really just the expectation that you get an A or an A minus or a B, you know. But right. but the the grades are high uh, there. I, I I would say that probably undergraduate. Um, it would be the most challenging, you know, and I'm, I hear it from my own students that the, it's real, but the, the hope is that students would, would rise up to the professor's expectations. And we picture uh, paper chase and, you know, Dr. Professor Kingsfield and, and the fact that he had high standards and people would leave his class racing to the bathroom to throw up or something <laughs> because they were, called on by him um but you know we we would hope that the 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 students would would change their preparation if their grade is low i mean it it seems like in in a way playing chicken you know who's going to blink first and in this case um the administration blinked and sided with the the students um legally they're on firm ground but what would happen if this had been a tenured professor Oh, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. I I think if it was a tenured professor, then you can do damn near anything as a tenured professor. You're not getting fired. Uh, I mean, you can, I mean, both good and bad things, you know? And so I I don't, I don't think we're having this conversation if he was tenured. Okay. But the, but I mean, so many courses are taught by adjuncts. In this case, this gentleman had a a contract uh, for a year I wonder if he taught multiple courses, but, but, but either way, there's something immediately troubling about it, you know, and it it makes us, it, it brings to light uh, the the problem of of a teacher because the, I mean, if there aren't enough pressures, you know, now suddenly you need to uh, find a way, you know, through some type of intellectual contortion to create a, an assessment system where you're, your demands are high. People, you know, master the content as much as they need to, say, to get into medical school. But but then you have a a nice passing rate of about seventy five percent or something like that, right? Or and I'm probably closer to ninety actually. Hmm. Well, I, the thing that I think the thing that makes this a more complicated conversation 
if we if we are to assume based upon the quotes that are in the New York Times article from former students that Dr. Jones is otherwise a highly competent, intelligent, one student said inspiring teacher. Right. That that does not preclude incompetent teachers. And so, you know, I had, I think I may have told this story once before, I had an economics teacher in college. He was dreadful. I mean, almost incomprehensible. Uh, I mean, the way he spoke, uh, the way his thought patterns were organized, his ability to be able to explain things was woefully inadequate for the task. Um, And I remember when at the end of the course, the last year, the last day of the course, the, the grad assistants came in, um, passing out evaluations on the teacher. Right. And when they came up to me, I said, I'm not filling that out. And, uh, the, the graduate student, poor, poor lady, the, grad, <laughs> the graduate student said, uh, well, well, why? I said, well, assuming he didn't get this bad overnight, He's had plenty of evaluations that say that this guy's not a good teacher. And yet I still spent a semester with this guy. So clearly anything I write down doesn't matter. So I'm not filling it out. And so that's, that's always the tricky part. You know, I can say, and you can say that this is troubling, that this sets a, a horrific precedent. And it certainly, it does, but that does not suggest that there are not incompetent teachers out there, incompetent professors out there, someone with tenure, and you can't do anything about them. And I imagine that economics professor I had in college, he had tenure. Guy was old as Methuselah. And so, I mean, I, I can imagine he's been doing it for a while. And um, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that's the hardest thing about making this kind of argument is that someone can always can always come up with an individual who is truly dreadful as a professor and should not be in the classroom. Um, but I think that that does not matter as much as it matters what kind of precedent this sets, what kind of expectation does this give students that they have the power to do? And I don't know. I think you. I think it's like the old adage with parenting: you get the you get the students you deserve. That's pretty good. The, you know, as a professor, and I've, I've taught enough courses, I've gone through this a lot where there are uh, the students give you their their reviews um, that they fill out, like you, you mentioned, and it's a little bit awkward because you're 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 teaching them, you're in the front of the classroom, and then yeah, somebody comes in with an envelope and and you go out or you're you're done. Usually that's it. You go. You leave, you leave for the night and yes. then they, they fill it out. But it's it's this awkward exchange because the, the students are, um, you know, they're making some sort of judgment and, and the, the weight is, you know, to my understanding, pretty high because it's not like what you have in high school where you ha- you're observed, say, by a vice principal, you have this whole protocol of evaluation and they come in, they do walkthroughs and there are a lot of eyes on you. Um, but professors are, are kind of, you know, on a bit of an island, you know, so the only people who have real insight would be those students and then chatter. And there's always chatter uh, that maybe gets to the department head. But I think you're right. There are, um, there are a lot of, there's a range of, of, of 
poor to great for any profession, but I, th I think particularly for professors. So, but, but what do you do? Do you trust the opinion of, of students uh, in that case? Should there be that much weight on those evaluations that you refer refuse to fill out? Well, I think the professors who have a pretty negative reputation, I think everybody knows it. I think the department chair knows it. I think other teachers know it. I think the administration knows it. And it's just a question of what they can do about it. And so, but that's not, that does not seem to be the case with this particular guy. Yes, the department, the former department chair of the chemistry department in NYU did mention, as you said, <laughs> that uh, Dr. Jones had not changed uh, his methodology of recent times uh, to fit the new student. But then Dr. Jones would say that the new student is not as competent as the old student was. And so um, there is that. I think, I think uh, for the most part though, his other colleagues are very much rising to his defense. He's got a lot of former students rising to his defense. And so I think you can look at this um, as objectively as you can and sit there and say, well, at the very least, this petition is questionable. You know, but that, you know, I, and but the professors for whom they have set the standard in bad teaching, I think everybody knows that. I think that's an easy decision to make. And I think it's easy to delineate those folks from professors who are fighting the good fight. Well, we, we might address the, the college students themselves. I mean, they've kind of gotten off the hook in our conversation a little bit. Indeed. Um, but but we, we've been discussing for a long time that you know lack of engagement of students and particularly a lack, lack of grit and lack of reading <laughs> lack of preparation right that you can get through high school even advanced placement courses by watching videos and not reading and suddenly you're i mean chemistry organic chemistry you're not going to watch a bunch of youtube videos and figure that out <laughs> you, you have to open the, you know crack the book and read it and read it again and and, and so forth. Um, so does this, uh, what, whatever the, the term is, in, uh, empower, but in a bad way, um, students to, to you know, not prepare, but then they, then they complain about it? I think it certainly does empower. And, and I would imagine that the uh, next petition that's signed yeah. is going to include, we also want the guy fired because it worked the last time, you know, and so... Yeah. The, the first petition didn't even ask for that. Yeah, yeah. So it enables them. That's what I was I was yeah. hunting for. Um, you know, and then they're going to say, "Well, fire the dean for for firing that teacher, um, and fire everybody." You know, get everybody uh, in, involved. But any any professor would be vulnerable. You know, we we tend to make a slippery slope argument here, um, but it does open up a a bit of a Pandora's box. It does. And like you said, though, the students have not really been, you know, the, the article, the New York Times article does mention, you know, and does highlight the various ways in which the students might not have done what they should have done in order to pass the class. And we and you mentioned briefly the idea of the kind of the lack of intellectual stamina and grit to be able to push through and learn a subject. Um, we don't give them, we don't do them any favors at the high school level because at the high school level, it's all about tips and strategies and shortcuts and angles. And here's how you do this. And here's five ways to get a five. And, 
you know, all these little catchy slogans and ideas that are meant to kind of encapsulate, boil down uh, complicated processes into number crunching. And when they get into a, as you said, when they get into a course in a college that you really can't do that, it's a, it's a whole new ball game. And if you can't adjust, you're out. And I imagine those 82 kids that signed that petition are 82 folks that haven't been able to figure it out yet. All right. So I don't know what 80, what percentage 82 of 360 is or 350 or whatever the number <laughs> you'll is. Know, you'll never know. Mr. I'll Miller. never know. I'll never know. So, but, uh, but, uh, you know, I understand that it is not an insignificant number, but surely that would suggest there's plenty of other people who are getting it done and getting it done right. Enough so that it, at the very least it should call into question the petition and just quote unquote, how bad Dr. Jones is. That's, that's right. Because we're, I mean, we're making a, a ton of in, inferences here. Um, and, and my hypothesis would be that, you know, the students who aren't doing well in that class are not reading and they're not studying. And if, and those are kind of latent variables that we would need to know. Right. In this case, um, you know, if, if a student is you know, taking out their highlighter, if they actually have an actual or book and doing all of that and preparing and, and they, they would probably say that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I wonder because you know, when you take a, an exam at a university, you know, is it based upon sitting in the lecture and hearing what the professor says, or is it based upon your own preparation outside? And I, I would guess that it's it's both, but probably more about the outside preparation. You you can pass classes by reading notes and, and reading the textbook. Yes, you can. I think. I mean, but it has a lot to do with the. And I tell my students this. I mean, right. we only see each other a couple times a week your success in this class is going to be dependent upon what you're doing outside the class. I guess just for me, this particular situation, it kind of strikes home one, because I have often been on the business end of conversations about (coughs) he's too hard. His class is too hard. I mean, he's grading too hard. You know, I have had colleagues who have also kind of suffered the indignity of being too hard on their students. Um, And, you know, other teachers kind of, especially the younger teachers kind of roll their eyes at the old dinosaurs who demand that certain things be done in their classroom. Um, Those teachers get it from all sides. And there there is no side of the public education um, uh, sector where they can go to for support and and, and, uh, co-commiseration. They're like you said, they're on an Island. And, um, uh, so I kind of feel for this particular professor. I mean, clearly he doesn't need the gig. I mean, he's 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 made his lot and he's going to retire. But I do worry about what this means. And of course, anything that happens at the university level will eventually matriculate down to the high school and uh, the public school sector. So I, I don't think this is the end of the story. And I don't think it'll stay within universities. Right. It, it sort of touches a nerve. Um, I, I do think that, you know, there are real assessments beyond the college, uh, weed out courses, you know, for example, if you're studying law, the, the, the bar exam is nothing that somebody, no one can complain about that. 
you know, and they, they expect, and I think the same thing to become a medical doctor, you know, the, those exams are for real. Um, so, so, you know, is the weed out appropriate or not? Um, is it, you know, overall helping, um, it's a prominent university. I mean, the fact that you're accepted into that university already, these are brilliant students for the most part, you would think. You would think, yes. Um, I think it depends also about the, what kind of uh, field of endeavor, not to dis- diminish one and elevate another. But, you know, the you know, if I if I see a history student, uh, a history teacher perspective student, you know, in a college somewhere, perspective history teacher student saying, hey, C's get degrees. I said, OK, you know, because the 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 potential consequences are not that troubling. If I see a doctor, a, a doctoral student who wants to be an open heart surgeon walking around saying C's get degrees, that's considerably more troublesome. <laughs> and so I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think I think context has a lot to play here. And I think that I think it's OK to, to have high demands and a C ain't cutting it, you know, so who knows? Yeah. Know. Why do we know? It's a, it's a complicated, and I, I don't even know how to use a post hole digger, you know, <laughs> 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 we're talking about this kind of thing, but, um, it's cause you had that gilded upbringing in Eugene. Oh, I've, 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 I've dug plenty of holes <laughs> <laughs> and, and we actually had soil in Oregon. You know, we didn't have clay like, like you have in your backyard. So on our podcast, recorded <laughs> and for in perpetuity, yeah. we have the recorded sentence. I've done. I've dug plenty of holes in my life. Oh, I, I, I do it every day. <laughs> I get out of them. <laughs> Sometimes I dig them just to fill them back up again. It's, it's <laughs> exercise, you know. So, <laughs> well, yet another podcast in the bank. Uh, something to look forward to, something to look at and to look and see how this thing progresses over time. Cause I think like we've talked about, this is going to have, there's going to be consequences and repercussions to this particular event. And I think it's something to kind of keep an eye out on it and see, see how it unfolds. Yeah. It's not the first time this has come up. No. Universities. So, so it'll last for a news cycle, but this seems to have so many points of view converging that it's probably worth revisiting indeed well uh you watching football today um not really i'm, I'm going to a marching band uh, performance live this evening and so but i may watch a little bit in the afternoon i don't i don't know but probably not I'll, i'm going to reserve some time to watch uh, the nfl tomorrow and mm. that would be my, my answer Okay. Well, I've done, I've been to plenty of marching band competitions. So I, yeah. I know you're going to have fun. Um, I am planning my Italy trip. So we're still, I still got to do some stuff on that. Although it's not until next summer, you can never start too early to plan your next trip to Italy. So I love Italy. My two hours there were just great. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is, it is shameful. That's that is the whole of your experience with Italy. We really need to fix that at some point. So I think so. I shall return. All right. Very good. Well, with that, we shall say adieu, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. Auf Wiedersehen, Herr Miller.